Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Hey everyone, in this episode, I'm chatting with Susan Walsh. She is the founder of The Classification Guru, and we take a deep dive into how to build a lasting data governance practice. We also chat about who is responsible for this, how data professionals can better translate to business leaders, and then take a fun turn to dive into social media, how Susan shows up to be her authentic self, and how you can get started in sharing your authentic self on social media. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Susan. It's great to be chatting with you again. Great to be here. Yes, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time because I love to sing along with you on LinkedIn. Ah, (laughs) And so I'm like, maybe we get a breakout in song in this conversation. Who knows what will happen? (gasps) Who knows? Yeah, I should have warmed up my vocal cords a little bit more, but we'll see. Uh... (laughs) So you are the fixer of dirty data and the classification guru. How did Self, you become self-claimed? This? Yes. <laughs> but either way, where did the fixer dirty data come from and classification guru come from? So the classification guru came when I knew I wanted to set up a business and I wanted it to describe what I did, but in a fun way. Um, you know, I don't take myself seriously. I don't actually think I'm a guru, but it's memorable. It's kind of playful. And people do remember it. Or, you know, they, you know, for a long time, they would just call me the data guru. But, you know, they still remembered. And, but I also found that when I started out, I didn't really have any connections in the industry. And I was talking to a lot of people who had no idea what I do. Even now, lots of people, unless you're, you know what I do and you're in the industry, you don't really know. So I looked at different ways of explaining what I did. And it started off with telling people I'm the Marie Kondo of data. Mm-hmm. But the problem I found with that was all the ladies were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah. And the men were like, who? <laughs> so so that wasn't really working so that's where something simple like fixer of dirty data came along and, and it covers a huge broad range and often I get asked questions about stuff that isn't my zone but it's also offered up a lot of different opportunities that maybe wouldn't have come my way so um so yeah that that's pure chance basically I love it I, you've nailed the personal branding aspect but also made it really fun. Is that a value you have that's been in your life through childhood of like, hey, I want to make things fun and light? Um, I, I think so, because um, certainly growing up, teenager, young tw- in my 20s, had like different colored hair, reds, purples, pinks. Um, I When I had a job as, as a, an account manager, I tried to do fun things with the accounts that I looked after. So when I was doing training, I'd take prizes. Uh, so there's always been that, that aspect. Um, and yeah, I guess it's always been there because when I worked at Colgate, um, this was in the days when USB sticks were still a thing. I actually had some promotional USB sticks made in the shape of a toothpaste tube. So you just took the lid off to get the USB. And I thought I was an absolute genius for creating that. Um, 
and and people loved it and and it did the word did spread actually throughout Europe that I had had these little things made and people were asking for them so um so yeah I guess it has always been there but I think now that I'm working for myself I don't feel like I have any boundaries anymore there's nobody there to tell me to rein it in I can just go for it I want one of those Colgate sticks I don't have a USB port in my computer anymore (laughs) I don't even think it was probably like one gig or something. It would be absolutely useless now. I don't even think I have any anymore, but um, yeah. And then when I had my shop, actually, I did something similar. I gave away Diamante USB sticks with purchases. So I've always kind of had that that in me, I think. So how the transition into data governance, though? So you have an accounting background, it sounds like, had a lot of fun roles before that but where was your journey into data that was a complete accident as well so uh went from account management sales into the shop and so i had my own shop for a while selling women's clothes really high overheads really expensive rent and rates couldn't afford to pay it had to get a job any job to pay my bills Found an ad online for some data entry, data classification work. Thought this will do for a while until I get a proper job. Uh, And then ended up staying there for five years, building out a team, managing projects, training them. But I kind of felt like I'd got as far as I could go there. There wasn't really anywhere for me to go. And then they got bought by a bigger company and it all changed. So my options were either find a whole new career or start another business. And I decided to start another business. And so that was just under five years ago. I'll have my fifth birthday in June. And I've, yeah, the last, I mean, the last two years, things have kind of just gone like this. But the first couple of years, it was so, so rough. Um, But I wouldn't swap it for anything. So how do you survive those first developmental years, you know, people talk about the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur. How do you keep it all together and keep it level-headed? Well, I think I was much more cautious this time. So for the first 18 months, I was working on contract roles as well as running the business until it got to the point where I had to choose one or the other. And I was like, right, if I don't give the business a chance now, I'll never know. Um, and then then it was a rough year, but with the help of my dad, I managed to get through it. Um, and, and just as COVID hit, that's when things really started to, to go on an upward trend for me and hasn't stopped since then. Well, congratulations on your almost fifth birthday. That's incredible. That, you, know, you know, they say most don't make it to their first birthday. I've been there. That has happened to me. The next milestone is five. So huge, huge achievement to get to five years. Can't, be, can't quite believe I made it, but yeah, so proud. That's incredible. So data governance, let's go into this. First, for anyone listening, I always love to ask people how they define the subject area, especially since we're talking to the guru herself. <laughs> I want to be blessed with the wisdom of the guru. So how do you define data governance? Okay, actually, there's another bit to my pre the previous question as well. So the whole data governance thing, I started out targeting procurement people. 
and making content on procurement spend data. So I always thought of myself as a procurement person. But then the whole data world like loved my content and so I started making more for them. And so that's how I kind of eked my way into that world as well. So um, for a long time, I felt like a complete imposter in the data world. Um, But I accept now that I am a data person. I work with data. I just didn't take the traditional route of getting a qualification in it. That's all. You know, I'm still an expert in what I do. And I think it even proves more so that you are a data person because you looked at your metrics of who's the audience liking my content <laughs> and use that yeah. to create, in a way, a new business product and a new market opportunity for yourself. So yeah, I that's think it true. Just actually, reinforces that you're a data person. Yeah, I just, I guess, I just didn't realize at first. So, so yeah, I. I guess I've never thought of myself as being under the data governance space, but but that is what I do. I clean data and then tell people how to keep it clean, which is pretty much data governance. Um, I really don't like that word, though. It's so kind of uh, archaic and formal and sounds quite strict. And I think it puts a lot of people off. But, but data governance is basically just managing and protecting the, the accuracy of your data, Sim- very simply. And that can be done in a range of different ways with a range of different people. I think the most important thing to say is data governance is not just for data people, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I'm trying to do through my content is, is trying to get noticed by those people that might not necessarily also work in data, but it's still important to keep it clean. Yeah, so we've heard data is the new oil. We know data has all this value, right? And data governance is the practice of protecting that, right? Protecting yeah. that value. But so oftentimes we see people don't participate in data governance programs, see it as a responsibility, know the value, stay up to date on practices. You know, why does this happen? So they're not invested in it for a start. Um, that could be because they don't think what's in it for me. Um, they might just not be interested. But I think it's really important that we try and engage people to get them to understand how important it is and also how it affects their colleagues and their friends that they work with when they don't do something right. Because they might think, oh, it doesn't matter if I fill in this box. But your friend in the next department, it might take them two hours to do something because you didn't fill in that box. Or they're spending two hours chasing a customer and apologizing because the wrong thing was sent somewhere. And then there's costs involved with bringing that back and sending something new out. It's it's so much more far reaching it than just, oh, he didn't fill in a box or he didn't put the right information in. It's so much bigger than that. And so I think, yeah, getting them to try and have a connection or a relationship with the data and its consequences is is the biggest challenge as well. Do you think we have a responsibility as data professionals to really communicate that term you said, what's in it for me, right? To communicate for our business partners or stakeholders to wrap their heads around why this is so important and the long-term effects and are we failing today at being able to communicate that? 
Yeah, I think so. And I think it's because there are some phenomenal data scientists and analysts out there. They're not necessarily people. People, you know, a lot of them are are, are very introverted. They they don't really want to talk to people. They certainly wouldn't want to talk in an open space. I think we need, I guess, they, they call them data translators. And I guess I'm a bit like that too. We need people like that to talk to the data people who can then relate to the rest of the business in a in a in a language that they understand. So in regards to translating the data, do you have tips for data scientists, analysts working in this space and needing to translate it to business partners and how to best do this? Yeah, so I think you need to appease both sides so you have to understand what the data people are looking for and then you have to find a way to achieve that via the business and the methods that they, they use and there might be a bit of back and forth and negotiation but you have to make both sides happy or it's not going to work and just trying to understand what the data side needs um, and, and following through on the consequences and then trying to be able to relay that to the business, I think, is really powerful. And when we're communicating this value, what are your key points in sharing the cost and benefit of a data governance practice? So, I mean, in the procurement world, it's all about cost savings, but actually I tend not to talk about that at all. I talk about the time that you save by not having to repeat the same tasks because the data is wrong. You can drive profitability on projects that you're working on because say you you have been doing a project and it takes a month every quarter to do project ABC. And then if you maintain and keep your data up to date, it suddenly takes you two or three weeks. That project is more profitable. So there are benefits. And who knows, you might even get a bonus if you make the project more profitable. You know, There could be incentives there. It's things like that. It's even reputation-wise, you know, how does it look to your potential customers if you send them the wrong email, you know, email with dear insert name or, you know, dear Mr. Smith, my name's Susan, I'm not Mr. Smith. It can give a really bad impression uh, before you've even really had the chance to start a relationship with them and it can put people off. Um, and then there's GDPR or privacy laws in the US. If you're not protecting the data properly, you are subject to massive fines. And, you know, it's, I say only 4% of the turnover, which is not a massive amount to large companies, but the reputational damage, it could take take a lot longer to recover from that than just a, just a fine. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of benefits to, to keeping and maintaining data governance. Yeah, I think the reputational damage is big. I mean, and really even being able to quantify that. Yeah, and also it, it's not just one person's job. It, it's all of our jobs to do it. You know, we all have to have shared responsibility for this. You know, if it is one person and something happens to them and they're gone, then that's your whole data governance uh, program just completely collapsed. Whereas if you have lots of different people doing different parts, you can maintain a, a consistent level um, 
And ultimately, it's going to make everyone's lives easier, which is the biggest win. Okay, well, you heard it from the guru herself. It's all of our responsibility <laughs> that we need to Sorry. practice it. <laughs> I love it. So shifting gears a little bit to social media, that's how I connected with you on LinkedIn and yeah. I shared I love your little karaoke nights and sing along. But I love that people love that. <laughs> yes, they're so fun. But I know for a lot of us, that is very scary to us to put a video out there, especially on a platform like LinkedIn, that's a professional platform. We all have these ideas of do's and don'ts of what we can do on there, right? Was it always easy for you to be able to put yourself out there in what seems to be your authentic self on social media? Um, I think I've always been a bit like that. Uh, well, since I've had the business, I would say before that, you know, I joined when LinkedIn was just a, an online CV. You just went there to find jobs. And I started to connect with people and I started to do some posts, nothing too out there. And then I, again, was going to a lot of events, really tired of explaining to people what I did. So I made a video and posted it. And people really liked it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought, well, okay, let, I've done a video on what I do. Let's t- let me tell people what are what are the things I do? What do they mean? So what is data classification? What is a taxonomy? What is supplier normalization? Uh, and took it from there. And I, I don't know at the point that it became quite as crazy as it is now. Um, but I've, I've always treated LinkedIn, my network, like my coworkers. So I feel like I'm just having a bit of office banter with, with everybody. Um, and so people have, uh, enjoyed that. And, you know, I've got great engagement on my posts and things because people, you know, they feel like my friends, my coworkers. So we have a, a good discussion on my posts. Um, but it's probably when it went really crazy with start of lockdown. I, people, I I dressed up as a fairy one day and came online and had meetings. I had been challenged to a lip sync battle, um, so that's where the whole lip sync thing started. Uh, people really liked it, so I kept doing it, and then suddenly it became a a lip sync Sunday thing, and then. And then I guess because people were accepting of that, I wasn't afraid to say other things. And also, you know, it's really hard when you work for a company because you're scared of getting in trouble, losing your job, whereas I don't have anybody to sack me. You know, the, the only thing that, that it could potentially do is is damage the reputation of my business. But I think people know me well enough now to know my style um and and the way I am have you ever had any negative pushback from social media so initially there were some data people that were really like this is not right and and I'm said I had to justify you know I'm looking at this from a specific perspective um not while uh, the generalized data world um and so i kept saying you know this is procurement data 
Um, but nothing, you know, I haven't been trolled. I have been, but then God help them if they tried because I would come back at them full force. They wouldn't even want to bother, honestly. Um, I'm not having any of that. Thanks very much. No one messes with the guru. We'll just say that. Yeah. And, and actually, I think I'm at a stage now where if anyone tried, a whole lot of people would just jump on, on whoever it was anyway. Um, I, I'm not here to um, be, um, what's the words? Be outrageous and, and cause controversy. Um, although, you know, a little bit is good, you know, like saying, you know, we'll always need people in data that, you know, AI is not the be all and end all, um, but nothing too controversial. That's smart. So for people who are just getting started and want to elevate their brand, I mean, you're a pro at this, you have a tagline, you have a very clear brand, you're able to be yourself and put yourself out there. What tips do you have for people just getting started? So I have all that now. <laughs> I can't tell you how many iterations of of things I've had over the years. So this is not something that happens overnight. You won't have your final tagline the first time you you decide to change it. And and you know by listening to and responding to the comments and the discussions you have on LinkedIn, that will help feed how you should position yourself. Um try things I have tried a lot of posts that have absolutely bombed but you don't know that until you you bomb them um I recycle so much content you know I have just over 25,000 followers now a really 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 small percentage of them will see my post at any one time so I can post it again and again and there'll be a crossover with some people but to a whole load of the audience it's completely new so as long as I, I mix it up with different text to go with a picture or a video, there's absolutely no reason not to to reuse use content um, and be smart and you know and and you get feedback from it as well. So if people like it, you make more of the same. Perfect. So but, it's an iterative yeah, process. And reuse your content. Be smart. Yeah. And. And, and if it's a terrible post that doesn't do very, very well, well, guess what? Hardly anyone saw it, so it doesn't really matter. You know, it'll be forgotten by next next day. So, yeah, just, just and consistency. And whether that's showing up once a week, uh, once a day, just just be there um, and talk about, you know, talk about what's in the news. Talk about something personal. Change up your content. Don't be too salesy or self-promoting um talk about discussion points that you know you have in the office or you know that's a challenge at work see who see if anyone else has that you know that gets discussions going as well and engage on other people's posts as well great tips well thank you susan i think we're ready to transition into the rapid fire questions if you're Ooh, ready to go <laughs> yeah all right. So what song do you currently have on repeat? Oh, right. Let me get the name of it because um, it is called, do, 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 do. I Don't Want You. It's Riton and Ray. All right. Adding it to the list. Hope to see it on the next Lip Sync Sunday. <laughs> 
Ah, might be on one of them, yeah. And George Furikin, another data governance guy, he's done a lip sync challenge, so I have to respond to his lip sync challenge. So I'll be doing that this Sunday. Ooh, the battle is heating up. <laughs> yeah. He's got nothing on me. I'm saying that now, George Furikin, nothing. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, so we'll, we'll be excited to tune in. All right, what's the favorite place you've traveled? Cuba, 100%. Mm. Cannot wait to get back. I miss that place so much. Yeah. Sorry, for Americans. Happy- Harder <laughs> for you. <laughs> for you, happiness is? Being content. So it, yeah, enough to pay the bills and have a com and, and have a comfortable life. In the next five years, I hope to have a a product that I can sell, not just a service. Love it. And then, last but not least, to me, curiosity is. constantly wanting to improve i love it well thank you susan so much for coming on the show i love those questions thank you yes i know we're gonna drop your linkedin all your social links your website in the show notes Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you definitely linkedin I'm, i'm always hanging out there but also i have just redone my whole website so go and check that out and you can also contact me through there too Yes, it looks beautiful. I love the little mini um, Susan graphics. 3D Susan. Yes, yes, 3D Susan. It looks so good. Yes, definitely go check it out. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, My pleasure. Every- yes, for everyone out there, thanks for tuning in. Please stay curious and creative, and we'll see you next time. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.